Hi, my name is Londe Yusuf. And my name is Reggie Williams. And we're the co-founders of Black Film Space. Black Film Space is a grassroots organization dedicated to enhancing the skill sets of black filmmakers and building a community of creatives. We host events such as screenwriting workshops, panels, mixers, and other events that are designed to support black content creators. In the next episode of the Black Film Space podcast, we interview Angela Nissel. Angela has written and co-executive produced for Scrubs, The Boondocks, and is currently staffed at The Last OG. We talk with Angela about navigating a comedy writer's room and her experience as one of the few black women in a space dominated by men. Before we begin the interview, we have a few brief announcements about our event in spring 2019. Every Wednesday in March, we've been screening classic films that are centered around black women and following up with the discussion as part of our Cinema for Her series. Our last event is on March 27th and we'll be screening the film Set It Off. This will be at La Co Cafe at 195 Utica Avenue in Brooklyn. Admission is free with a one drink minimum. On March 28th, we're hosting a producing shorts and features panel featuring Marquise Stillwell and Dominga Martin. Marquise is the founder of Open Docs, a production company, and was the executive producer of the award-winning documentary Shield and Spear. Dominga has produced several music videos which have been featured on MTV and BET. On Friday, April 12th, the co-founders of Black Film Space, myself, and Londe Youssef, will be moderating a screenwriting workshop in Dumbo, Brooklyn, as part of the Black Web Fest. Lastly, we're hosting our fourth annual screenwriting retreat from June 19th to June 23rd. The Black Film Space Screenwriting Retreat is a five-day, four-night excursion designed to offer screenwriters a quiet space to focus on their writing and connect with like-minded creatives. We also incorporate optional writing workshops, yoga, meditation sessions, table dinners, and nature walks. The deadline for the first deposit is April 1st. For more info on all these events, go to blackfilmspace.com. Now, on to our interview. All right, Angela, thank you for joining the Black Film Space podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, so thank we'll just you for jump. Me. Of course, of course. Uh, we'll just jump right in. Um, can you talk about your trajectory as a writer and, and now a co-executive producer? Whew. Well, I started at, at so long ago. I'm like, <laughs> you really want me to put my age on this podcast? <laughs> but I, um, <laughs> I started as a writer. I think like many writers start just writing for pleasure and also because I was broke in college and that was a cheap way to entertain myself. Mm -hmm. And what I did, I started writing on um, my colleges. They gave us all, I don't know what they do in colleges now, but we had our personal UPenn pages and this was back before they even had graphics. So mm -hmm. I started writing about how broke I was. Literally, they were like, write what you know. So mm -hmm. that's what I wrote about. And then um, I started to send people like, this is good. You should send it to agents to represent you for books. Well, I did that. And everyone was like, no, thank you. We'll pass. Um, I kept writing it. And one day someone from Random House contacted me and said, would you like to make a book of this? And I said, oh my God, I just saved 10% on an agent. So <laughs> got an agent, started getting offers from Hollywood on the book after it came out. It was on Oprah. And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to move to L.A. because it looks like big things are going to be happening. I was wrong just because people option your book. I obviously failed at the dictionary reading of option because that means they have the option to do it, not mm -hmm. that they're going to do it. So moved out to L.A., started writing spec scripts, hoping to get on a TV show again. 
No one was biting, going to agents after agents after agents, just kind of, well, yeah, we'll get back to you. I was about to move home. I, this is a completely true story. You can ask the woman who I'm still good friends with her. I met a woman on eBay. I was selling her some stuff that I was about to sell so I could move forward to move back home. She was an executive at Warner Brothers, and she said, didn't you write a book? She said, do you have any scripts I can read? Finally, literally, I was packed, and she read my script, introduced me to an agent. I got on Scrubs for uh, nine years, where I went from first-year staff writer to co-executive producer. Yeah, so it's a lesson, and every single time you want to give up something, if you're supposed to be doing something, someone will come in and force you to turn around. That that is crazy. So you're like one of the first pioneers to to make big moves on the internet, going from eBay to <laughs> eBay to Scrubs. Wait. You know, I was like, I I made I made eBay social media before it was social media. I was like, Hey, girl, how you doing? Yes, I did write a book. <laughs> and we're friends to this day. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so your book that you wrote is it's a it's a comedy, right? Yes. The Broke Diaries, it was exactly what it is about being broke in college. And I just kept a journal of what I did to survive how broke I was. And it was um, one of the things, like, I would act like I was a college professor so that I could get books for free. I would call up publishers and say, hey, I'm thinking about assigning this to my lecture hall of 200 students. And, of course, they'd send it to you for free if they thought there was a chance that 200 other people might be buying it. Mm -hmm. Things like that. And what's funny about that is... I, when I first got the deal to write, I thought you had to write a specific way. So I started writing, making sure all my periods were dotted and I kind of lost my voice. And I remember the first thing my editor said to me was, we didn't hire you because you knew how where to place a period. We hired you because you had a specific point of view. And I thought, wow. Mm. And that's kind of stayed with me until this day. Mm. How did you get to that, that point of having that, that strong voice that would attract, um, a, a publishing a publisher rather you, to me it was always treat i always treated the audience and this is for good or for bad because some people did not like this especially in the beginning i would always treat the audience like they were my friends like anything i would talk to my friends about that we would laugh about i would write on the internet and some <laughs> even my mom would be like you're putting your business out there i remember i said damn one time in entry and even one of my professors was like, you can't do that. The Internet's going to be around forever. No one's going to hire a girl who writes a curse word on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know what? Stop listening to what everybody else is saying. Just say whatever you want to say, things that you and your friends find funny. Mm-hmm. And I look at shows now like Atlanta, and I'm like, that's exactly what they're doing. Not everybody's going to get it, but if it makes you laugh, forget the rules. Atlanta doesn't go by any rules on TV, and mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that, you know, write who you are and, and what you know, and somebody else is going to is gonna like it, so. Yes. How did you hone your comedy writing abilities, your comedy writing skills? Like, did you, <laughs> did you, did you always know you wanted to write comedy when you were younger? You know what? I was such a nerd, and I mean that really. Like, I was the nerd who wanted to fit in so bad like with the mom who would be like I'm not buying you those cool shoes I'm buying you these shoes you know so I just always learned and I think it was by accident to attack yourself before other people attack you mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like if you can laugh at yourself 
people are going to crack up so hard, maybe they're not going to punch you. But that's really what happened. It was just, I realized that, you know, I didn't know how to fight. I didn't, but I could make people laugh. And now it sounds kind of sad. I'm like, that's how I got friends. But that is exactly what happened. And that was my way of surviving those horrible years we know as middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. And one time a teacher just said, you know, writing is, God, I'm getting, remembering all these good quotes. A teacher told me writing is worthless unless it makes people laugh or cry. Mm. And I thought, well, that's kind of harsh. But when I used to read things in school, or even when I used to go to these little YMCA classes, I would, people would laugh. And I thought, it's changing people's moods. And I like doing this. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I, I guess when people kept laughing, I thought, hey, I got to do something with this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about like, like writing for a TV show? Like what's the difference in writing, particularly comedy, writing a, a narrative or was your book an autobiography? Like what, what was the structure? Yeah, both, both of them were autobiographies and that was a big, big difference for me jumping into screenwriting because I knew how to write in my voice, but I didn't know how to write for multiple voices. Per se. I wasn't that good at it. And people told me about it when I first started. It, you know, everybody sounded like me. And for screenwriting, I think a little bit of the, your voice has to be meshed with whatever show you're writing for or your showrunner's definition of what a show should be. Mm-hmm. So for someone coming from an autobiography or just like a blog type writing, it took a lot of reading of other scripts and a lot of going to the mall and eavesdropping on people and seeing how different people talk, just different ways that people will say such things as like, yes, instead of saying, yep, or just the way people mm-hmm. tilt their heads so you know they're lying. It's mm-hmm. almost more of a study in character. Yeah. But they always say if you can't, you can't teach comedy. That's what I keep hearing. I think you can, but some people say you can't. So it's knowing the rhythm of what makes a joke good and sometimes on tv that's a lot different than in a book yeah so was there uh, did you have any like learning curves specifically or points where you were like i have to work on this specific oh um, yes or? i'm you know what i i can tell you what i did wrong is that i concentrated on too much on the formatting and i thought if it's formatted great everyone will know i am a professional screenwriter mm-hmm. and Honestly, it's still the story. And I got the same note when I started writing TV. I wanted to be perfect, like interior hallway, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no one cares if you miss a slug line or misspell something on an action line. It is your voice. And in screenwriting, I think your voice means a little bit more of how you see the world and the way you see characters and the way that you make your characters react to each other. Mm-hmm. And that was a very specific skill set to learn. I think it's made me better in my autobiographies because it's um it makes me look at other people's point of view and I can still find their point of view funny, but it does take a very it uh, takes a different outlook and it takes a much more collaborative spirit to work in TV writing mm-hmm. as an autobiographical writer or any kind of book writer, usually working alone here. 
the second you put out a bad idea, the whole room will shut down or shut you up. And it's you got to suck it up and take it. What was the transition like from going to a writer to becoming a, a co-executive producer? Whew, that was um, I was extremely fortunate to get on Scrubs my first as my first job. I knew that most shows got canceled, but I was such a newbie. I thought that, oh, OK, your agent gets you a new job after your show gets canceled. And you keep moving up the ladder. I got to go from staff writer, which is the first, what you're called when the first year you're in a room, to co-executive producer, which is what happens after you get a lot of experience in, in one show on Scrubs. And the difference is usually a lot more responsibilities. Like I'm the co-executive producer on Last OG now. Mm-hmm. And what ha- you're basically the number two to the showrunner. You have to deal with a lot more things. You have to be, at least in our world in comedy, you have to be on set. You have to read other people's, the younger writer's scripts, edit them, give them notes back, deal with the studios and the networks and their notes, deal with the actors. And if sometimes an actor will try to change one line on set, and actors can be pretty intimidating at times, Mm -hmm. you have to be like, oh, if you change that one line, you're changing your whole character. Mm -hmm. You have to oversee the directors, work with cast. So it's just, it's a lot more responsibility. Okay. And what about what what exactly is a consulting producer and a story editor? It's so those are just fancy titles like when you that give you a bump in pay usually and consulting producer is usually when you're working on something else. You're sometimes you're working 4 days a week but it's and sometimes it's a title I'm on consulting producer on a show now that's coming out on BT. I love it. It's called Bigger. I go in the same day a week same amount of days a week, but because I'm still in the last OG, if the last OG comes back, they get to pull me out. And so, you know, there I don't have as much responsibility, but I'm supposed to be at the co-executive producer level. So they just give you a title that means consulting. It's a, it's such a it's such a boring random thing. It really is. If you go on a, if you go on the WGA's website, there's like a list of minimums that you can be paid based on each title. And that's really what it's for. Mm-hmm. Like pe- people think that story editors really edit the story. No, <laughs> like it's, it's it's I don't know who came up with these titles, but they really could be called level one, level two, level three, consulting, level four. There's no rhyme or reason to them. So story editors are basically staff writers. Story editors are staff writers with usually like if you're second year at a show or second year on any show, you get bumped up to a story editor. And it's just it's a it's a nice bump in pay. It's and it means that somebody likes you around and people keep hiring you. Mm-hmm. But it's just if you go on the WGA website, it shows you how much a story editor can be paid. I guess to me, and you would have to ask an agent. I know you had an entertainment lawyer on your show, but it's it seems to me to be a shorthand to people for how much you're worth and how much you can get paid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, oh sure. No problem. <laughs> uh, what, what's a typical day like as a as a staff writer and producer? On comedy, whew, it can vary. I have worked on shows where we go in at 10 a.m. and we come out at 2 a.m. and you sleep in your office, especially when it's a first-year show. It's sometimes the showrunner's nervous, like this is their once. You can retire. You can live forever. Or it's a dream they've been trying to get on the air for years and years. So they want to make sure every joke is right. And trying to get seven people to agree on a joke at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m., wow. Like you will, it's like being in the cast of a reality show where you all want to kill each other. I have seen fights break out. Like, <laughs> really. It's, you said what break out? It's, I've seen fights have broken out. Wow. 
Oh, yeah. It's um, I mean, that is the least thing. I mean, you're looking at Hollywood, all these scandals coming out. I'm like, yeah, someone, a fight broke out in the, in the writer's room. That's no big deal. Like, <laughs> some, like it would be like, up oh, the fists are coming out. This happened on a couple shows. I mean, it gets people want to go home and see their families and see their kids. And you're sitting there working on a joke for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's intense. And all of my friends are like, you should move to drama, especially when you get like in your 30s and 40s. It's time to move to drama. But they tend to have better hours. I'm not even really sure why. I think it's the jokes. But a typical day would be go into the room. You talk for like 10 minutes. Hey, how was your day? Small talk. Then you jump right into, okay, what are we going to do for this season with this character? You map out the entire, what you want the character's arc to be. Throw some ideas around. Then you come back the next day. This is in the beginning of the show. Throw all of that out and say, you know what? We talked to the actor. They don't want to do this. Or they're only available on Tuesdays after three. So then it's like mapping out what you think the audience wants and what the character needs to do versus what they really can do. Okay. So That yes. sounds really intense. You know what? It is a lot more intense than I thought it was going to be because I think a lot of people, especially on the internet, I see writers getting a lot of blame for when the character does something in the writer's episode, we might have had no choice in the matter. And a lot of times when our name is on a script, it's not even us. Sometimes I've had scripts and I've had two sentences in them because what happens is once you map out what the character is going to do over the season and what the characters themselves are going to do over the season, then if the characters still get along and all the people are still available and nobody's quit, no one's asked their agent to kick off the show, once you have that mapped out for 10 or 25 episodes, you figure out beat by beat together usually what is going to happen in the episode. Then you send the writer off just based on rank. Like the co-executive producer usually writes the first one. Then you go down the line, the staff writer gets the last one. I guess it's so that if you get canceled, the senior people get to write more episodes. Mm -hmm. Then you bring it back into the room, usually distribute it to everybody. And you have to sit around a table while everybody reads it and you hold your breath and hope that someone laughs or nods. <laughs> it seems like it takes forever. Once that happens, you go through it page by page by page with everyone giving suggestions or saying what doesn't work. So what you turn in can be transformed into something completely different, but it'll still have your name on it by the time it airs. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's, that's intense. Um, yeah, I was in regards to the, the fights i was really curious to know what it was like working on the boondocks because it's you know the social political socio-political tv show and i imagine that there were a lot of debates in in that writer's you know what's weird is that i've known that was actually the smoothest room aaron i've known aaron for since he before he even did the comic strip in the national newspaper and he didn't call me in until season four. And I know a lot of stuff happened with him and the studio in season four, because all of a sudden, <laughs> this is what made it easy. For half the season, Aaron wasn't there. And he had already written his scripts. And it was like, okay. And the studio was just pushing us, turn some stuff in, like with a, almost no deadline. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, with a very quick deadline. Like, okay, you got two days. It's like, no one writes a script in two days. I think for, and also the animation takes so long, it's exported to Korea where you have to sit on the phone with them and explain, well, this is what a tree looks like, you know, in America, or this is because they'll draw something that's completely, it'll look like there is a, some kind of Asian tree in the middle of Chicago. So it's, 
it takes so long. So what's funny about the boondocks is what you write, by the time it gets edited and gets over to Korea, may not be topical at all. So you have to think about broad things and broad strokes in terms of, like they were very lucky with the R. Kelly episode mm. where it just happened to come out at the same time that he was in the news. Mm. Wow. So yeah, you, you always, it's a very hard with topical shows, which is why I don't, the grind of like a daily show, something like that, I'm like, I don't know how they do it, where it's like you have to have perfect things and the same day that mm-hmm. shit is really happening. Mm-hmm. Excuse my curse word. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned writing in two days was is really fast. What? How long do you typically have to write a script? Usually have, by the WGA, for a half an hour script, I believe you're supposed to have seven days for it. Yet two days, sometimes we'll get down to the wire and we'll all write a script together, which is known by the horrible term gangbang. <laughs> we all write it. And people are always like, yeah, it's, it's hard being the only woman in the room, and everyone's like, let's do a gangbang. Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know why they call it that, but, and you really, you look, you've already beaten out what's going to happen in the story, and everyone just throws around things in the room, like, okay, this is what's going to happen next. How about this joke? How about this joke? Because we'll have writers on stage at times, we get so backed up, second-guessing ourselves, or taking studio and network notes, or being told such random things as, we have a sponsor for this show who doesn't want anyone to die in any of the scenes after we already read it because people will associate their pain medicine with dying. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, are you serious? So you have to go back and write the whole thing where someone doesn't die at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot of things can influence how long it takes the script. One time, and this shows you how long ago this was on Scrubs, we had written this great episode about medical marijuana and a doctor finally prescribing marijuana. The studio and network both came back and was like, no, nah, that's that's too risky. We can't do that. So we had to scrap the whole thing at the last minute. I don't even remember what it became, but we stayed in there two nights up in a row straight just writing something else because they thought medical marijuana was too risky. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and, you, and you mentioned um, being that there's not many women writers. How many black out of the shows that you've worked on, how many black women writers have there been? I have been the only black woman writer way more often than I have been. <laughs> I have had, I've only worked with, before the last OG, I'd only worked with one other black woman. And she came in about six years into Scrubs. And okay. we recently saw each other at Lena Waithe hosts a brunch and a get together for black women TV writers since we're so rare. And I recently ran into her and it was like the best reunion Ever. The last OG room on the second season, we had two other black women, which was like, I walked in there and I said, oh my God, like, I just thought I must be in the wrong room. This is, you know, (laughs) because that has never happened in life. It is just so rare, especially in the comedy space. And I grew up watching Living Single and Girlfriends. And so when I came out here, I thought there's going to be a lot more shows like those. Those are the shows I know that are popular, but we haven't had a living single or a girlfriend, meaning a black show that is not on cable, that's on broadcast, mm-hmm. network TV, that pays a lot more money than cable. And we haven't had a black woman showrunner on comedy on broadcast network TV in 20 years since mm-hmm. Yvette Lee Bowser. Mm-hmm. So it was, and what happens in TV, which is across the board, and it's just, it's demoralizing and it's stupid, is that they don't hire they tend not to hire black women, the showrunners, unless they have a black woman character. For some reason, people think you can only write your race. And I'm like, as a black woman, yes. 
I'm like, as a black person, you have to almost know other races, especially white races, better than your own to be able to function in society. Mm. So if anyone can give you insight onto things you don't see within your own culture, it's someone of another culture, especially somebody black. Because if not, we might have killed someone every day of our work life. <laughs> so it's, but for some reason, I remember I had an agent who would just say, oh, this would pass, say, don't, you can't go on this show. You can't go on this show. There's no black women. That means a lot of us were out of work and they still tend to do that. If you look on color of change, there's a report about Hollywood and how very few black people there are in the room. A lot of shows have no black people, period. Mm. So it can be an uphill battle. People say that things are changing with shows like Atlanta and, but sometimes I want people to really look, not Atlanta and not Insecure, any of our favorite shows, but sometimes when you see shows come out, they'll have a black actors, but not one black writer. Mm. And so I really encourage people to see who is writing the shows and producing the shows behind the scenes because people tend to know now that diversity makes money so they'll throw diversity in front of the camera but won't put it behind the camera yeah what do you what do you think the industry can do to change that i mean outside of you know just obviously just hiring people but making it i guess more sorry go ahead oh i think i was going to say one of the things is what you do it's i think a lot of us there are a lot of us who are writing but then i meet a lot of people that don't know how to get into this world or think that they, because they wrote a book or an article that automatically means that they should be able to write a screenplay. Shoot. I was one of them. I, you know, and I still have a lot of people coming to me, like, how can I get in this business? And it's like, Google it. You have to write a screenplay. You have to write a couple, whatever you're trying to write, whether it's single camera comedy or multi-camera comedy or drama, you have to write an original like that to show that you understand the structure. And I also, there's just, I never learned about this in school. I never learned. And I mean, I went to, I went to a creative performing arts high school. I never learned about screenwriting. And so now what I also try to do is I work with a group called the Unusual Suspects in Los Angeles. And we go into prisons, we go into the projects, we go everywhere that kids are to write and teach them how to screenwrite and perform and put on their own plays. I think making sure for now that next generation is prepared is what I think needs to be done. Because soon, people like Issa and people like Donald Glover will be having a lot more influence mm. by the time I might be aged out of the influ in industry. And it's also just, I think social media has changed so much of it that but we also need to educate people on, because like I said, I moved out here thinking Hollywood's calling me, the option my thing, my book, that means I'm going to be out here and I'm going to be rich. I've seen so many people on social media fall into traps of optioning their books or optioning their, not knowing what it really means and how much control other people will have on their prop, over their properties. Mm -hmm. If we had a lot more education on these things, I think a lot more of us would know what to do once we get in the space. Can you elaborate more on, on that, on what it means to option your book? Woof. <laughs> okay, now, optioning your book, which I had to learn the hard way, that means when someone has the rights to hold on to your material for a period of time to turn it into a TV or a film. And sometimes people do this just like you hear they do with record labels because your book is a hot property. They want to take it off the market. They're not going to do anything else with it or just because – it's like the hottest new purse. Like everyone wants to be seen with this purse. Ah, she got the rights to it. And so then hype dies down. They don't do anything with it for two years. Unless it is a major studio 
a lot of times people like actresses or actors will say, oh, I want to offer this project. They don't have a production studio behind them. They don't have anything. It's just like, I think this character is cute. Not all of them, but some of them. And don't know the first thing about actually getting a deal because everyone's done it for them their entire life. Mm-hmm. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's basically a very low fee in the chance that you will get option. If you read about every book option, if you Google book options and just sort by date, almost every book gets optioned at some point. But you want to go with someone who actually has a plan to get it on the air and show and teams you up with an experienced screenwriter and has studio connections or network connections mm-hmm. or has a deal with a studio network. There's tons of people out here calling themselves producers. And you also want to look at how many books they option. I have I know people who have optioned over a hundred books. They're not going to do all those books. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's just it's like the producer title in Hollywood. Anyone can say they're a producer, that doesn't mean they produce anything. And with books, it's the same thing. People collect them, but they don't do a lot with them. Okay, thank you. Um, Going back to being the only black woman in a writer's room, how does that affect how you navigate these spaces? It is, it's, I used to, it's funny because you always, in any environment, I think a lot of black professionals can relate to this, you got to pick and choose your battles and hope that you are picking the right ones. I used to tell my mom when she, because she was a, a black nurse and she would say that we had a black nurse on the scrubs, but she wasn't a main character. And my mom would get so mad at me. Like you're making people not want to go into nursing. You know, this, um, this is not what a, a nurse does. People on TV always think nurses only change bedpans. So yes, it was like, I had to, but I had to tell my mom, Sometimes it's not what you see on TV. It's what you don't see. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's sad to say, but you might've been a lot more offended if I hadn't pushed for some of the other things to mm-hmm. get up, come out. So I'll deal with the, the bedpans next season. It is always a tightrope to remember that you are there because they supposedly value diversity, but knowing how to play the we game, I call it, where something goes wrong and you have to say, I don't think that we would like to come across as racist. It's so sad, and it's white fragility, but it's what you, know, you have to do. It's like mm-hmm. you have to remember that this is a team effort, and you have to make your showrunner and the network in the studio remember that most of the people do not have an L.A. outlook on life, and we're writing this for most of the other people. And if you hired me to give you the background that I have, you should listen to me, but you make it a we situation wow, we're really not going to come across something good like this when you know you didn't have a damn thing to do with what they're about to put on the air. Mm, okay. hope um, that didn't sound horrible, but it's, it's so much about, and I wish, you make me want to start a boot camp for people interested in writing, if I had time, TV writing, because so much of it is, especially in comedy, you are going to be stuck in a room. There's no office of your own, usually. Some, I mean, you might have that, you can go have lunch in, but usually we all have lunch together and work through the script. You are going to be stuck with people that's 12 people for 12 hours a day. And these people have to like you because nobody wants to be stuck in a room with a jerk for 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So it's finding a way to bring your experience, your culture to the room in that weird way that every black professional has to do without making anyone else feel guilty or, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. and still getting your point across and knowing what to stand up for. And I think I have a lot of people that I started out with that don't do it anymore because it can become burnt out. 
I just kind of sort of leaned into it. Like, look, this is me. You either like me or you don't. This is what I have to say. I'm fine. I've been on food stamps. I'll find another job. So it's, <laughs> it's, it really takes a certain level of loving it and loving what black characters can be on TV and hating. Remember growing up watching Tom and Jerry and different strokes and thinking, this is some bullshit. This is horrible. You know, like this is, this is, I don't want anyone else to watch TV and get in that moment where they feel embarrassed or they like they wasted an hour of their damn time. You know, I want things to reflect our diversity and how beautiful our stories are. And mm -hmm. if you just want someone who is fat and is going to say, talk to the hand, then I'm not the writer for you. Mm -hmm. What do you love? What do you love about writing? For, t for t television. <laughs> writing a book or writing anything alone, I said, this is why solitary confinement is illegal in some, in some places because it, it's, I don't know if writers talk about this enough. It is lonely and there's no, sometimes there's not enough deadline or you don't, it's, you just sit there a lot of times with just you and your words and no feedback. For TV, you are get immediate feedback. People will tell you if they like it or hate it. You have to learn to not only write, but defend what you want to write. And that has been a big lesson for me. It's like, why? Why should we invest million dollars, millions of dollars into this sentence, this episode idea you have? And to be able to say, this is why, this is why it's important, whether it's mental health or a story about a little girl who lost her doll, why it is going to make people feel and that is a it's a high for me when it gets done, but also sitting at home now, I have something to focus on, like, okay, I'm gonna go in here and I'm gonna tell these people why they have to do this story. And but you know, it's it's learning how to fight better for things you believe in. And that has served me well outside of and in the room. Mm -hmm. What about the joke? Because I'm sure everybody in there is a sharp well, I'm assuming everybody in there's a sharp writer, a sharp joke writer. So how do you choose like which jokes to put on air when you have a lot of great jokes? Oh, you know, you just reminded me. You, a lot of people are sharp writers and they'll have great spec scripts, but they'll get fired the first few months in because they don't speak up in the room. The room is like the Wall Street trading floor where, well, sometimes, most of the time it is, where people are yelling out things and people want to be the best heard. By the time the script is done, you go through it usually and do a joke pass, which means punching up the jokes. And everybody wants to chime in and get a joke. The people who don't chime in, unless they're really good at story beats, people will be like, oh, that's a weak link. But usually it's the showrunner's choice or a co-executive like me who gets the final read on the script and says, okay, this, this one is the best one. You'll get to the point in the room where you'll just write down three and let the, let the actor choose which one sometimes. And then, even and then you go take it to the studio and the network and everyone has to say that's good so you're thinking two times per page people have to say that's good or that's bad or try to do better on that one mm -hmm. it's usually sometimes what happens though this <laughs> is sad is that by the time it gets to midnight everyone just kind of looks at each other and it's like let's just laugh loud for all of the jokes so that <laughs> we can hope that one can get in and we'll go home and then they'll fix it on the set mm -hmm. so and a lot of times when i'm on set with my scripts I'll see that how we laughed in the room doesn't translate. You'll see the cameraman sitting there and the director like, who wrote this? Mm -hmm. And so you have to come up with something quick on the fly. And that is why people who aren't good at talking in the room usually tend not to go on because you have to hold up production, which costs a hell of a lot of money. You might be blocking a street 
and run in and say, we got to try something else here. This doesn't work. And whew, sometimes that can get, you will get, you're losing the sun. You're about to lose the shot, but you have to be able, again, to fight for what you know is going to be good. Mm, okay. Are there any differences between working on shows like Scrubs and working on The Last OG? <laughs> yes. Well, one, because we filmed Scrubs, we all worked in, I was about to say lived, because we practically did live there. We all worked in an abandoned hospital, <laughs> and, and we filmed there, too. So filming every day was going on while we were writing. It would, like, the actors would run downstairs and say, hey, this doesn't work with a pr-. They were right there. Last OG, we write in Los Angeles, then it goes to film in New York City. So a lot of the writers aren't, lower levels aren't on stage or aren't on the streets when their episodes being filmed. And also being basic cable, I don't know when it got so raunchy, but we are allowed to do a lot more <laughs> on cable, obviously, even basic than we were on Scrubs. Mm-hmm. It's um, So you can feel more free, in my opinion, to write like a normal person. You can throw a few dance in there. You can throw some shits in there. Tracy and Tracy Morgan also loves to make sure that the heart is in the episode and then the grit. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is learning timing and pacing because if you don't get it right, Tracy Morgan will literally take you on a tour through his old neighborhood, show you where he got shot, show you where his friends got shot. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have seen him. He, Oh my God. Tracy wants the show to be so true to life which is good like he's like i don't want the jokes to be typical sitcom jokes so he has a very him and jordan peele have a very specific tone in mind for the show mm-hmm. i have seen him <laughs> this actor who was playing a stick-up kid tracy will do i don't know what the actor version is but he will get in front of the guy and almost say you gotta imagine i'm in your back about to beat you up like just like and just see the guy's face get really scared but then the guy will give the best take of his life and i'm like wow and even and working with tracy he will not hesitate to tell you if your joke is trash Mm -hmm. in front of everybody (laughs) and i'm like oh my god i remember i did i did a joke i think i did a joke about a ted talk and he was like and i just got out of jail i don't know what a damn ted talk is like like, oh god you could have pulled me to the side but he's that's actually what you want because i'll be damned if i write another ted talk joke again you know it's like you want a creator with a vision for the show who's not just going to be like, that's funny, let it go. Because sometimes you'll be like, this show is different day to day. It's with Last OG, it's actually the most fun show that I've written on thus far, where it's, again, because we have a black room too, and it's very inclusive and we want to have different points of view, but the showrunner and the creator know that we have to walk this line between dramatic actually telling a story about the prison system and the hood and gentrification and laughs. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy. That is a style of comedy that sometimes people will get offended by, mm-hmm. but that's the type that I find fun. You, do you think the, the climate that we're living in in regards to political correctness is, affects the writing that y'all do on the last OG? You know, it's, hmm, I would say, it affects it both ways because at times we're more careful than I think writers used to be in the past. We were going to do an episode. Um, I can't, I can't even remember what the topic was, but I remember we thought there is not a person representing this community in the room and we don't have enough time to find a couple voices to represent this community. So we just thought we'll save that for next year. It's like 
there is, I think you can be funny without being offensive. I think that you also with any other community, just like I can't be the only black woman in the room speaking up because I might have a difference of opinion than somebody else, somebody else black. But I think that you really need to remember that if you are talking about a group and you are not part of that group, you damn sure better have a couple people that are part of that group to tell you whether you're right or wrong. Because the hell if I know anything about being a straight male. <laughs> you know, it's like if you ask me about being a straight male, I'm just going to tell you what my boyfriend did that annoyed me last week. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you, I think that we are more careful, but I also think that social media has made it so we know that people are going to get mad for two days and then they'll forget. People will be like, oh, that person's canceled. Kevin Hart's canceled. Next movie is still going to go through the roof. Mm-hmm. So it's so we have such a short attention span sometimes on what makes us angry. And there are a lot of people who now get off on being outraged. Not all of them, but sometimes people who are not in the industry who don't. I've had people yell at me and accuse me of ruining the boondocks and i'm like i'm the first year writer and aaron hired me and you have no idea because my name was on a script that they didn't like Mm -hmm. and but like i said it's a group effort when people write things on tv shows so it's sometimes we look at what people get mad at and we're like they don't know how this goes we don't care and if you write for what people if you write hoping not to offend people sometimes it just is not funny because you're holding yourself back Mm -hmm. As long as you have people in the room that can tell you, hey, that's that's whack, that's not probably not going to go over, then you're good. I think we have become more careful about that. Okay. Um, going back to writing or, or getting staffed on shows, when you're not staffed on a show, like what are you personally working on and how do you get staffed on a show, on the next show? When you're not staffing a show, you're personally working on hoping that your agent doesn't fire you because you think everybody in town hates you. <laughs> but when you're first starting out, what a lot of people and I ended up doing too is coming in through a diversity program or just a, and when I when I say diversity program, it's so funny because people think you have to be like a a, a black feminist. Like you have to have no. I mean, we have older people. We have people who are typically not represented of all ages, races. So it's um. What you're doing when you're not staffed is either making sure you are in those programs or and trying to get in those programs or you're writing more original material to send to your agent so your agent can say, wow, you know, this one's good. I'm going to send this out next staffing season. And staffing season has changed because it used to just be, you know, all the no shows premiere in the fall, but we have cable now. But once you have a new script in, something you believe in, they'll send it around and make the rounds. Hopefully somebody will want to develop it into a show, but if not, it's just the newest sample of what's on your mind and how you can write that will hopefully get you staffed in the next round. Mm-hmm. What about writing when you're on, when you are staffed? Like, do you, do you have time to write? Do you make time to write when you're like your own personal stuff? Well, yes, because right now I have a show that is in development, which means it may or may not get on the air at Fox. So in addition to my day job, I have to come home and I'm working on that with other writers. I have to come home and work on that and sneak in between lunchtime, between bites and take notes and stuff like that. But yes, it, it depends. Sometimes the hours are so long that if you have something outside of what you're contractually obligated to do, like this show, you have to, you just come home to like, screw it. I can't, I can't look at another piece of paper. <laughs> so, but you should always have something 
ready to go, even if you write a paragraph a day or a sentence a day. So when your show is over, if you don't have someplace else to go, you can have other pieces of material to show to people, mm -hmm. to show that hopefully in the tone of the show that you want to write for. What, what mistakes do you see young comedy writers make? Whew, thinking that they don't have to, they can just jump right in. They look and they see the final product on TV and think, oh, half an hour, jokes, format, that's all there is to it. They don't think about the community, the collaborative aspect. They also don't think of starting at the bottom just to meet people. I had been on Oprah and I was an extra in a no doubt Gwen Stefani video when I first came out here. I was like, I don't care. I just want to see <laughs> what happens behind. It's so, oh my God. Girl, say, well, hey, baby. <laughs> I was a dancing extra. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to do this with my life. Let me get back to home and start writing. But actually, you will see all the work that goes in. I mean, that was a four-minute video, and it took two days and probably cost a million dollars. You will see all the pieces that go into it that you have to know how to communicate, not just on paper with a bunch of people, construction, studio, the, the freaking catering guys. You, know, you have to know how to – you have to also be a good manager, and there is no – there's no roadmap to being like, there's no, it's not like being a plumber or even being a doctor or a nurse where you get trained and people say, okay, you graduated, you're ready to go. Oftentimes when you're starting out, you will learn on the job and you will make mistakes. Everybody I know has been fired from a job, every single person I know, but it's about out here more so than ever. Everyone I know that has wanted to keep going once they have gotten in has been able to keep going. If you just learn to live through the lean times and no one owes you anything and your script right now has to be stellar and your communication skills because what happens is once your agent sends your script in to and a showrunner likes it and decides hey we're, we might want to hire this person you have to go meet with them and like a coffee bean usually or their office it's and you <laughs> no one wears suits and ties it's like you have to just dress in jeans and i remember my mom saying well you ain't gonna get that job i was like mom this is how we dress <laughs> like, mm -hmm. You have to, but you have to show them again that you are not a jerk, but you know how to work. And that is what that meeting is for, just to make sure that you are a person who can communicate your ideas verbally and not just on paper and that you're chill. And that is a number one thing. I think a lot of people come out here with the drive that you might need to succeed in the banking business at times. You got to drop that. Like this is California cool with the urgency of $5 million behind it. So it's this weird balance of, I know this is important, but I'm not going to flip and punch anyone on the head in my first day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, maybe, maybe a couple months in, you can punch somebody. Yeah. A couple months in, a couple years in, you know, when you're all feeling a little bit punchy, <laughs> we have a thing that says what happens in the writer's room stays in the writer's room. That's why I'm like, I'm never going to tell any names about who got punched. They settled it out. It was two guys. They were upset. <laughs> right? But it's, and you also, you cannot be a private person in the writer's room. You have to, speaking from your own voice and telling human stories is about not being afraid to tell your own experiences. I mean, I have things that I hope when they, I found out that I'm a whole joke in this town because of the story that I told about something that happened to me once with an ex-boyfriend I was dating. And, <laughs> but you have to, you have to be willing to put your whole self out there, your errors, the stupidest thing you've done and then hope that when your wife or your boyfriend meets all these people they don't all make a funny face at her like damn you dating this jerk <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yes you have to it's 
I would say take an improv class if you can, because you have to learn to be very spur of the moment, think on your feet and not be afraid to fall and look dumb. Mm -hmm. This is coming from someone who had to mime washing a dog in an improv class and failed that one class. Because so, <laughs> I felt so stupid, but it taught me the value of not being afraid to look stupid. Yeah, you've got to make yourself vulnerable. Oh, you have to. You have to. Mm -hmm. And and no one wants to be around someone else in a room who and they're all sharing their stories of, you know, <laughs> what happened during childbirth or the first guy that cheated on them and you're just sitting there looking like you're taking notes. It's like, get that guy out of here. It's the FBI. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah, no. What what about um just like practical advice for like honing comedy writing? Outside of, you know, of course you gotta write as much as possible, but is there anything else that you want to add to that? The best, the best part of my job is getting to watch TV and movies and calling it work and making it a business expense because you will find a style that you like. I'm a lot of times my comedy tends to go broad. So now I'm kind of into more animated shows. Like I love stupid American <laughs> just because they'll cut to something that almost has nothing to do with the plot and it's just a random thing that's funny whereas you'll often get a note when you're doing live action that that wouldn't really happen mm -hmm. look at what you love and figure out sometimes there's a real rhythm to things we have a joke in the room that says okay list list funny third thing in a list there's usually the third thing is the funniest they'll be like oh we can either go north south or to the moon that's a very bad example but it's mm -hmm. there is a pacing and a rhythm to it like music and think about what actions, look at what actions the characters are doing when they're telling a joke. Sometimes someone wrapping their hands on a table will make the joke so much more funnier than just someone delivering it straight. Like really, really pay attention to every single thing. And when I watch movies, even in theater, I have my notes out because if something made me laugh, I want to know why, what happened before and after that scene that made it perfect that I just said, this is hilarious. So, I mean, immerse yourself in TV, movies. Don't be afraid to look like me. And people, I always think people, oh my God, I'm taking out my iPhone in the dark. I just keep it real low and <laughs> use it to write my little notes down. Okay. Thank you very much, Angela, for joining us on the Black Film oh, Space Podcast. Oh, thank you podcast. so much. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you. Very, very insightful and, and warm. Um, so is there any place that people can find you on social media? Yes, I am always on Twitter because that's another good place to hone your skills, man. Because if a joke doesn't go over there good, people will tell you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My Angela Nissel, I'm on Twitter. Um, I occasional Instagram, even though a writer's life isn't that fun to put on Instagram. But yeah, I love um, talking to people and answering questions on Twitter, mostly. All right, cool. Thank you, Angela. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.